Bibles, please, to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, as we finish this chapter today and this particular topic of the resurrection. And this morning, we're going to look at verses 15 through 25. And the title this morning is The Restorer. Jesus Christ is the Restorer. Peter had already had a special meeting with the resurrected Lord on that first Easter Sunday. But the scriptures don't tell us anything about what was said in that first appearance by Jesus to Peter. But what takes place here in the 21st chapter is reported in detail. And this conversation between Peter and Jesus was about Peter's future, especially his service. Because Peter's denial had caused Peter a lot of sorrow and a lot of heartache. And it put some questions in his mind and in his heart about his future. Do I have a future with the Lord? You know, will I be able to serve the Lord again? So again, it was especially concerning to him about his future service. Because you see, when we sin and and Someone sins seriously. Now, all sin is serious. But there are some sins that are devastating. And those sins, they leave a mark in our soul. And sometimes it will cause a person to feel rejected by God. Or I'm no longer good enough to serve God. I've created such a grievous sin that God can't use me anymore. So again, there's a concern that that I I can't serve God anymore. It'll keep me from serving him. But in this conversation, Peter was in due time told that he still had service to do for the Lord. So Peter was restored to the place of service for the Lord. And this conversation also told how Peter would die, which would assure him that his performance would be good. So Jesus didn't just restore Peter to future service, but he also assured Peter Peter, that his future service would be good. So how blessed and thankful we should be, we all are, for the accounts of this post-resurrection appearance by Jesus. And each one that we've looked at has been instructive to us. And in our studies of the resurrection appearances, they have given us a lot of help for our spiritual lives. If each one of us knew just how sinful we really are, we wouldn't be shocked or so bummed out when we failed. But most of us don't really know the depths of our sinfulness. We really don't know the depths of our depravity. And and so we're we're shocked, especially if we fall into serious moral sin uh, by our surprising ability to deny Christ. Now, surprising to us, but nobody else. You see, many people think of themselves and even said to others, well, oh, I would never do anything like that. I could never do something like that. And when we do, the devil uses it to make you think that, you've, that you're finished with the Lord. You can't serve him anymore. You can never be used by the Lord anymore. And that you can't live a victorious and happy life in Christ 
which is totally a lie of the devil. Even though we sin, we haven't lost our chance for a full, victorious Christian life. Instead, the Christian way is to repent and to be restored. And this is what our passage is about this morning. It's what it teaches us this morning. Peter had failed the Lord big time, especially when Jesus needed him the most. Peter had abandoned Jesus and had magnified his weakness and failure by denying that he ever knew Jesus. Three times he denied that he knew Christ. And yet Jesus loved Peter. And Peter knew that Jesus loved him. Let's begin now in chapter 21 with verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. So we're going to listen in now on this beautiful conversation between our Lord and Peter. Look at Jesus's question to Peter there in verse 15. Peter, do you love me? And Jesus asked Peter the same question three times. And it's probably to remind Peter of the three times that he denied Christ. Though I doubt Peter could ever forget that he denied Christ. I'm sure he didn't want to be reminded that he denied Christ. But Jesus asked Peter the three same questions. Probably again to remind Peter of of that terrible night that he denied Christ. But in this first question, something is added. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Or more than the disciples? Or more than others do? Do you love me more than others do? And it makes sense to think that these three words, more than these, were meant to remind Peter again of his overconfident statement that he made to Jesus earlier when he said, Lord, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never, I will never be made to stumble. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. It's as if Jesus said, Peter, will you exalt yourself now over others, above others? Have you now learned about your own weaknesses? Jesus' question, do you love me, is a pretty simple question. Even a child can tell you whether or not they love you. But it's, very, it's really a very soul-searching question. And it makes you think. It makes you look deep down into your heart. Do I really love Christ? We might know a lot. We might do a lot. Admit a lot. Talk a lot, work a lot, give a lot, go through a lot. We might show a lot in our religion. And you know what? Still be dead to God because of our lack of love. And in the end, still go to hell. Go to hell. Do you really love Jesus this morning? This is the most important question you have to answer this morning. Because you see, without this love, there's no life in our Christianity. You see, without love, there can't be a relationship. Because the relationship is founded on love. It's driven by love. You see, we're no better off than a statue, a hunk of wood or metal, because it has no life. It has no emotion. Nothing of real value can it give. There's no life where there's no love. And that's what happens when when marriage relationships go bad. 
It's not that they don't have love or they don't love. They quit loving. And so how can there be a relationship when there's no love? Knowledge, the right doctrine, the right views, principles and standards, a good moral life and all of these good virtues. Those don't make up a, 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 a true Christian. There has to be some personal emotion towards Jesus Christ. Feeling alone isn't proof either. Because feelings, they come and go. They're like the wind. One minute, minute your emotions can be, you know, like a hurricane, and, and the next minute they can be like a, a, just a the still wind, no breeze, no, no movement at all. From a hurricane to, to, to no movement at all. But to have no feeling at all, that's a bad sign. It's a sign of deadness, and it doesn't speak good of a person's heart. The men and women that Paul wrote to had feelings. They weren't ashamed of their feelings because, you see, there was one in heaven that they loved, the Son of God. We need to do all that we can to be like them and to have some real feeling in our Christianity if we hope to share in the same reward. The next thing we want to look at is Peter's restoration. The process that Jesus took Peter through to restore him back to service. Jesus started the process here by asking Peter in verse 15, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than others? The word love that Jesus used was was agapao. Agapao in the New Testament. It's the New Testament word for love. It's the word that, that is always used in relationship to God. And it speaks of the benevolence or the compassion which God, in providing salvation for men, has shown by sending his son to them and giving him, again, uh, giving him up to death. Okay, that, that's, that's what love means in relation to God, agapao. It speaks of a selfless, self-sacrificing love. It's a love that does what's best for others. It's giving of one's self. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Love is giving. It's giving until you have nothing left to give. And God did that. No greater love than this than a man lay down his life for a friend. The word that, that God uses is agapao. Then there's another word that's used. It's the word phileo. It's, it's, it's a human kind of love. It's, it's, it's a love that expresses itself in friendship. It's a brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. I don't know that it lives up to its reputation, but that's what it means, the city of brotherly love. Again, the, the, the founding word is phileo, a human love, a brotherly love. We could say phileo is the highest kind of love that we're capable of loving, not being born again, okay, and having the Holy Spirit working within us to transform us to the character of God. We could say phileo again, it, 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 it is that friendly kind of love. But that's the highest kind of love that we can give, again, without being born again and having the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Listen to this conversation again between Jesus and Peter. Jesus started the conversation by asking Peter, do you love me? Do you, Peter, do you love me with the highest kind of love possible? P- 
Peter, do you love me with a sacrificial love, a self-sacrificing love, a other-centered love more than these others do? Do you love me in that way? How will you answer me now, Peter? Because, Peter, you told me before that your love for me was sacrificial. You said you'd die for me. And you said your love was greater for me than these other disciples because you said even if they deny you, I won't. Peter was in a tough spot. Peter, you, you said that, that though they would deny me, you never, you never would. As a matter of fact, Peter, you, 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 you went as far as to say that, that you'd die for me. Peter, is that still true? Do you love me like that? Now, imagine Peter's position. He is totally humbled now by the denial of Christ. And he humbly says in verse 15, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But the word love is phileo you, not agapeo. I love you, Lord, with this brotherly love. Peter uses the lesser word for love. Peter is totally crushed here. He's not saying he doesn't love Jesus because he does love Jesus, but he's not boasting about his love like he did before he denied him. And he's definitely not saying his love is greater than anybody else's. He's simply saying that his heart is open to Jesus and that Jesus knows that Peter loves him with the best love that Peter's capable of loving him with. Considering he is a, human, a, a sinful human being. Look at verse 16 now as he moves on. Jesus said to Peter again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus asked Peter the same question a second time. Peter, do you love me? Jesus uses the same word for love. Peter, do you agapao me? Do you love me with a self-sacrificing love? The highest kind of love. But this time, he leaves off the comparison more than these. Peter, do you love me with a sacrificial love? Peter answered the Lord the same way he did the first time. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I phileo you. In other words, yes, Lord, I love you with a 70% love. Verse 17. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So when Jesus asked him the third time, he comes down to Peter's level and he uses Peter's words. Peter, do you phileo me? It was like Jesus was saying, okay, Peter, I know you can't love me with the same kind of love that I have for you. And that you're right in saying only what you're able to do. But Peter, do you really love me on this level? Do you really love me with a 70% love? You see, Peter, who has no confidence now in his own ability even to see into his own heart, says to the Lord, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Phileo you. And before Jesus goes on to give his command, he says to Peter, okay, Peter, I'll work with that. I'll live with that. Because Peter, I can bring that limited love of yours up to the place where I want it to be. I can bring it to the degree that I have called you to perform. 
Now think of this. All of this is taken. All of this that Peter is going through, this, this, this conversation between uh, Jesus and Peter, it's all being done in front of the other disciples. Which would really seem to be very humiliating and very embarrassing. Why did Jesus take, why didn't he take Peter aside and and do this, you know, one on one in private? Because it's very personal and it's very humiliating. And I'm sure being reminded of Peter, uh, you know, Peter, you know, being reminded of his three denials and how he said that, that, you know, oh, Peter, you said you'd never deny me, but you did. And that you'd even die for me. I'm sure that this was really painful for Peter to talk about. And especially in front of all of his you know, fellow disciples. It even seems kind of cruel that Jesus would do this. That Jesus would put Peter through this humbling process in front of the other disciples. But you know what? It's just the opposite. You see, if Jesus had done this behind closed doors... The others from that point on wouldn't have really known that Peter's past was really behind him and that Jesus personally has restored him and commissioned him to keep on serving. That's why you see in the Bible, men were called out publicly for their confession of sin. It's not that God wants to be cruel or that he wants to embarrass anybody or humiliate anybody or make a spectacle of anyone. Even though it's kind of all of those things combined, But it's to end the matter so that we can pick up and move forward with Jesus. Notice now Christ's command to Peter. Three times Jesus basically tells Peter, feed my flock, feed my sheep. The three my's reminds us of Christians who who, who the flock belongs to. We belong to Christ. We're his flock. Pastors, missionaries, teachers, parents are all just under-shepherds to whose care Christ's sheep are commanded or committed. So Peter's been restored to service. But what's the prerequisite for service? What's the only acceptable motive for leading and teaching others? Do you really love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. Then take care of my sheep. You see, this love doesn't get, doesn't get up and caught up into spiritual and supernatural experiences. It's not about me. John said, in his, said it best in his first letter in 1 John 3.18. He says, my little children, let us not love in word or deed, but in tongue. Let us not love in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, let's not just talk about loving. Let's not just say we love. Let's show it through example. Let's throw it, throw it in our lives. Don't say it, do it. And that's what John was writing about. Don't just tell people you love them. Show them that you love them. Jesus' last words to Peter, take care of my sheep, was meant to teach Peter and the whole church the powerful lesson that serving others is the greatest test of love. And working for Jesus Christ is the greatest proof that we really love him. It's not how loud you talk. It's not the possession of spiritual gifts. It's not the zeal that we might have. It's not about the knowledge that we might have about Christ or or that we're ready to fight for the cause. It's a steady, patient, demanding effort to do good to Christ's sheep wherever they are in this sinful world, which is the best proof of being a true-hearted disciple. 
do you love God's people? This is the real secret of Christian greatness. Jesus himself said this, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 26-28. We need to let Jesus' parting words to Peter here be permanently etched in our minds and practice every single day of our lives. Jesus didn't leave these particular parting words for nothing. You see, He left them for us. He left them for us to learn and to do before He went back to heaven. And we need to let our goal be a loving, doing, useful, hardworking, unselfish, kind, humble life in Christ Jesus. We need to let it be our desire every day to think of others, to care for others, to do good to others, and to lessen the sorrows of others and to increase the joy of others in this sinful world. And this is to recognize the great principle of our Lord Jesus that he gave to, te- that he gave to teach Peter. By living and working to order our ways, we will find that it's true that it is more blessed to give than to receive. If we love, that is agapao, if we love Jesus with that, 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 that self-sacrificial love, you're, we're going to love those that he died for. And we will do our best to serve them in love. Verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, Peter, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Now, here in verse 18, we come to the end of John's gospel. We learn here that the future of all Christians in life and death is foreknown by Christ. He knows how we're going to how this life is going to end for us. Jesus tells Peter here how he was going to die. And it did happen later on, just as Jesus said. And it said that Peter was martyred for Christ. The time, the place, the way, the degree of pain and suffering of Peter's death were all foreknown to Jesus. Now, knowing this should be a comfort to a true believer. Because to know the things to come, in most cases, wouldn't be a good thing. I don't know that I would want to know all that's going to happen to me in my life. You see, to know what was going to happen to us and, and, and not be able to stop it, that would make us miserable. Think of Paul when he got, say, was told everything that was going to happen to him. He probably said, forget it. That he would spend a whole lot of time in prison. Beaten and whipped countless times, faced death again and again, received 39 lashes by the religious leaders. He was beaten three times with rods, stoned one time, shipwrecked three times, adrift at sea for a whole night and day. Traveled on many long journeys, he faced dangers from Gentiles and even his own people. Danger in cities and deserts on the seas, went without sleep, food and water. Shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep him warm. That was just some of the stuff that he went through in ministry. If Paul would have been told everything that was going to happen to him in serving the Lord, like I said, he would have said, hey, forget it. You know, I'm, I, I, I'm not up for it. 
But you see, God gives us the ability at the time. That's how Paul dealt with it. He got victory at the time. God gave him the, what he needed to do what he was doing at the time. That's how God deals with us. We can't store up grace. We can't store up. We, God gives it to us at the time we need it. But it's a real comfort to remember that our whole future is known and prearranged by Christ. There's no such thing as luck and chance and accident or faith in the life of a Christian. Everything from beginning to end is known by Jesus, is foreseen by Jesus. It's arranged by the one who is too wise to make a mistake. And he's too loving to do us any harm. And he's too powerful to be thwarted in his infinite purposes for our life. And we need to let that truth be locked away in our minds. And we need to use it carefully in all the days of darkness that we might someday have to go through. And in those days, we should lean and rest on that thought that Jesus knows all things. Jesus knows all of this that I'm going through. Everything is filtered through God. And that Jesus knew it when he called me to be his disciple. It's foolish to be discontent and complain about the troubles of those that we love. Instead, we should fall back on the thought that all is well done in Christ. It's useless to fret. The Bible says it only causes harm. It's useless to rebel. We can't fight against God. It's, rebu- it's useless to fret and rebel when, we are, when ourselves have bitter cups to drink. Instead, we should say, this also is from the Lord. He knows it. He foresaw it. And he wouldn't, here's the thing, he wouldn't have allowed it if it hadn't been good for my good. He wouldn't have allowed it if it wasn't for my good. Those people who are happy are the ones who can accept the same attitude of an old Christian who said this, I have made a covenant with my Lord and that I will never take wrong anything that he does to me. That's the attitude we need to have. I will never take wrong anything that God does to me. Sometimes we think that God doesn't seem to act very nice or very wisely or very properly or fairly or punctually or recognize that, God, don't you see the danger in my circumstances? Don't you see the situation that I'm in? And like Peter, we ask God questions that are the most disrespectful. We ask questions that are very disrespectful of God. But in Peter's case, in John 13, Peter asked the question, Lord, are you, remember when, when Jesus was, was washing the feet of the disciples and he, be, and he started to wash Peter's feet? Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? Then Jesus gives Peter and us some help with, uh, for those times of confusion. In answer to Peter's foot washing question, Jesus answers that him, What I'm doing to you now, Peter, you don't understand, but you will know after this. See, many times when when God is doing something in my life that I don't understand or, or that is uncomfortable to me or I don't like, we ask disrespectful questions. Like, Peter, Lord, you're washing my feet? You see, this is a great promise that should help any one of us through the dark experiences that we go through in our life when that pain in our life, that confusion in our life overwhelms us. 
You see, Jesus' promise is that one day we're going to see the wisdom of God's actions. We're going to see the wisdom of why God allows certain things in my life. And like Peter's question, Lord, you know, Jesus said to Peter, you know, Peter, what I'm doing to you, you don't understand right now. And when you're going through something that's confusing or painful, remember what Jesus said to Peter. And just put your name there. Peter or whatever, Joe, what I'm doing right now, you don't understand, but you will afterwards. It's a great promise. When I'm going through difficult times, when they're overwhelming. Jesus' promise is that one day we're going to see the wisdom of God. And again, we'll, we'll understand why. And we'll see that, hey, you know what? It was wise when I didn't think it was wise. Someday we're going to learn that our Lord Jesus was never late. He was never too early. And, the, and as it says in Mark seven thirty seven, he has done all things well. So rather than getting upset over the confusion and the pain and the unknowing, we need to dwell on the promise that Jesus gave Peter. What I am doing to you now, you don't understand. But you will after this. Trusting in that promise. Again, that's the promise that, gave, that, that, that Jesus gave Peter. And he encourages us this morning with the same promise. That God does have good reasons for what he does. And he's promised someday we'll know the reasons. But you know, when I think I get to heaven, I won't care. You see, there might be times when we have to walk through rough places on our way to heaven. Now, God didn't promise an easy journey. What he promised was a safe arrival. One thing is for sure. It is a resting, soothing thought. It's comforting to fall back on what Jesus said. Every step of my journey was foreknown by Jesus, allowed by Jesus, prearranged by Jesus, known by Jesus. It wasn't just fate or destiny or luck or chance. Verse 19. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. We learn that a believer's death is intended to glorify God. Verse 19 says, signifying by what death he, Peter, would glorify God. Sometimes we think we can only glorify God while we're alive. By doing great and wonderful things, spectacular things that people see and and know about. But we can be patient when we're suffering. We can glorify God through patient suffering just as much as being busy workers. Like Samson, we might do more for God in our death than we did in our whole life. We might glorify God by being ready for death or by the way we die. And over the years, I have been in, in those, those hospital rooms where I've seen somebody that is, that is going to go into eternity soon. I remember one in particular who went to church here. She was the same in her hospital knowing that she was going to die. And she, wasn't, she had a smile all the time. She had a, the same tone of voice. She was not angry. I, she just blew me away. She glorified God in the way she died. And that's what happened. That's what what Jesus was telling Peter. We may glorify God, you know, in death by patiently enduring pain and suffering. 
The Christian who has total victory over the flesh, who quietly feels the pain and agony in their body, but never murmurs or complains, but silently enjoys inward peace, this is the person whose end brings glory to God. Deaths like these leave a mark on the living. They're a witness to the living. And you don't easily forget somebody like that. We also learn from this last section that whatever we might think about other people's conditions, we should worry first about our own. Look at verses 20 through 22 now. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said of him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. When Peter asked the Lord about John's future, remember Jesus' reply. I want him to remain. If I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you, Peter? You just follow me. Man, the lesson is clear. It tells every Christian to think about their own heart first. Have you ever looked at somebody else and said, boy, they sure have it made. Jesus didn't say to Peter, oh, Peter, you want to know what's going to what's going to happen? Well, let me tell you, Peter, you're going to get crucified, but then you're going to go straight to heaven. But John, on the other hand, he's going to be poisoned, but he'll make it. Then he's going to be put in a pot of boiling oil and he's going to be cast away on a hellish deserted island and it's going to, he's going to be, live a very lonely life and it's going to be painful and it's going to be hard for him. No, Jesus simply said, Peter, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. End of conversation. You see, sometimes we're tempted to look at somebody else and say, poor me. I'm being crucified. Oh, and he's he's just cruising along. Because you see, you won't understand what battles that person you envy might be going through at the time. And you might say, Lord, why are you picking on me? You're not fair. You see, Peter was wondering about what was going to happen to John. When in reality, the Lord would use them both equally. When we understand this, we can accept ministry from different kinds of people and in different kinds of ways. Jesus says, just follow me. Leave everybody else to me. Just follow me. Well, why follow Jesus when it means self-denial and and taking up the cross? You might say, well, forget it. I'll live my own life. And you can. Our loving God gives us that choice. Following him will mean self-denial. Following Christ will mean, take, will mean take up your cross. Why would you want to do that? Well, how about abundant life? The reality of the world never really lives up to what it advertises. But that's not true with the Lord. Jesus said, so whoever will be hungry will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never thirst again. And Jesus doesn't lie. Not only abundant life, how about eternal life? You see, if people want to go to hell, and if they want to live in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where they won't see another person for eternity, 
where their body will convulse and their mind will be haunted and their sin will always be in front of their face and they'll never ever hear from God again or be in his presence again, uh, then fine, don't follow Jesus. But if you follow him, you'll end up in heaven. So abundant life and eternal life, hey, that sounds like the better choice. Why wouldn't you follow him? Verses 23 through 25 as we close. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. There would be enough, there wouldn't be enough space in the whole world to store all the books that could be written about Jesus Christ. Now, what's been written about Christ is all that man's mind can handle. The world couldn't take anymore. They can't take what they have now. The human mind can only take in so much. And as many miracles and parables and sermons and conversions and life transformations and warnings and promises and prayers that Jesus gave already there are more than enough. If more had been written, it would have only gone to waste. There's more than enough to make every believer without excuse. There's more than enough to show everyone seeking the way to heaven. There's enough to satisfy the heart of every honest God-seeking person. There's enough to condemn man, even if he doesn't repent and believe. And there's enough to glorify God. The mind of man wouldn't appreciate more about Jesus. I mean, they don't appreciate what's written about him now, what they know about him now. So the mind of man, all mankind would not appreciate anything more written about Christ. If more had been written... There's more than enough to, to, to spare. There's more than enough to, be, to spare right now. John ends the book with amen. Amen means these things are true, or so be it. So amen, it means these things are true, and we who say amen now stake our lives upon them. That's what John is saying. And the question is, is this true of you? All that's been said about Christ, are you staking your lives on it? And you meant say yes and amen. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for these, these times, these studies in Christ, God. We thank you in this beautiful last chapter of the Gospel of John, Lord. Where Jesus shows us that we can be forgiven of even the worst sins. As Peter said to Jesus, come and dine in the first 14 verses. Showing that everything was okay between him, between Jesus and Peter. That was the first thing that needed to be done. And then secondly, in the last part, that after things were made right with Jesus and Peter, Peter was restored to service. Father, we thank you so much for your grace that you would take us sinners 
of the worst degree. And that you would forgive us and that you would love us. And that you would restore us to service. We thank you so much, Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you want to experience the grace of God, the love of God, that self-sacrificing love that He has for us. You want to receive forgiveness of your sins and experience abundant life, eternal life. Then Christ is the way. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship. And this is your time. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior, and you want all that God has for you, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, make your way toward the steps up front. When you get there, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you there, and, and we'll say a simple prayer of faith together at the end.